All right, guys, welcome back to this episode 60 of the Raw Knowledge Podcast. You already know, training, nutrition, lifestyle, keeping it real. And I'm with my guest today, Sonny Webster. Sonny, thanks for joining me, mate. How's it all going? No problem at all. Thank you for having me. Did you say 60 episodes? Yeah, episode 60. It's a lot of chatting, that, mate. <laughs> mate, I tell you, I can talk a glass eye to sleep. <laughs> Who's been your favorite? What was that? Can I play Who's been your favorite chat so oh, far? Shit, man, that is. Um, do you know what? I won't go with someone obvious. It was probably Kate Slovenia has been one of my favorites because, and I'll tell you why, her perspective on life is absolutely out of this world. Like, if I ask you a question or someone asks you a question, you think, cool, I can see that point of view, I can see that point of view, I can see that point of view. Now, she comes at it from a point of view that you wouldn't even expect, but it's brilliant. And you're like, shit, there's more than there's more than a few ways to skin a cat. Awesome. Love that. It always is the ones you don't expect. And I think, you know, a lot of the time you go into podcasts, like when people probably start listening to this, they'll go, okay, Sonny, we're going to talk about weightlifting here. Um, and, you know, for me, whenever I'm podcasting, it's always nice to talk about the stuff that people necessarily don't expect or they don't already know. Exactly. And as we talked about off air, that's kind of what I want to do. And I think my mm. listeners know that, again, it's about raw knowledge. It's like, let's not talk about the obvious that we know like what you do, but any intelligent person knows it's not what you do, it's why you do it. Right. And also, who is Sonny Webster? So let, let's let's start with for people who don't know, shame on them, terrible. But give us like a bit of a streamlined synopsis just to bring people up to date. Like if it was a trailer for a movie, just be like, this is what you've missed. <laughs> And then we'll get on the same page and we'll go from there. Yes. Yeah, so, um, well, guys, I'm 26 years old. Um, I grew up in a little town called Ivy Bridge in Devon um, where I started school. And as a kid, I was a really keen golfer and I played a lot of golf and that was the main sport my dad got me into. Now, I moved to a completely new school down in Devon and I stumbled across the sport of Olympic weightlifting. And back when I started it, six, 14 years ago now, so when I was 12 years old, it was nowhere near as popular as it is now, thanks to CrossFit. And since that time, since I started 12 years ago, I've created a life and a business around the beautiful barbell. And I competed for Great Britain in the 2016 Olympic Games, 2014 Commonwealth Games for England. And since then, um, I've moved out to Australia after touring the world, delivering seminars, teaching people about the sport of Olympic weightlifting and sharing my passion for the sport, really. I guess in the quickest overview you could have. And here we are. No, that's good, mate. That's good. And we'll keep it brief because like we said, there's lots of, and I'll put all the links into the description as people know. So if you're listening, guys, you can click through, but obviously listen first um, to, you know, your academies and, and perhaps other podcasts that you've done if people want to sort of explore and I'm sure they will jump on the social links, etc. So I guess we will start with something that is obvious because it I do want to talk about this a little bit. And I think it's like the misconceptions of Olympic lifting. Like for example, I'm someone who's a, a fan of the big three, but I'm not tied to it. When people generally ask you, they go, hey, like if they don't know you, they're like, oh what so we're like what what are you? You know, like when people ask like, like what are you? Like what box do you fit in? Like are you a bodybuilder, are you a powerlifter? You know, and that question kind of, it doesn't annoy me these days, but I think, well, hang on. Like I said, if you look, I just like to move. Like right now, I like strength training. 
But I also like riding my bike. I also like surfing. I also like playing the piano. I also like, you know, rock climbing, all these other things. Um, so what, what do you think when people think of Olympic lifting, what do you think are the biggest misconceptions or how do you describe to someone who doesn't know you, like what you yeah. do? Do you have a, have a different way of putting it across? Yeah, well, I think growing up as a kid, you know, and especially in those early four or five years of my career as Olympic weightlifter, I'd be like, I'm an Olympic weightlifter. And the first thing that people would turn around and go to is, oh, cool. So um, how much do you bench, bro? You're like, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not really bench press. You, you take the bar and you put it over your head. What do you mean, like strict press? No, not really. It's kind of a little bit quicker. So... Um, early days, there was a lot of explaining as to the way in which Olympic weightlifting is done. And I think it's taken years for people to really have a good understanding or enough understanding that you could even walk into a Globo gym now and there might be a platform and free weights. So I guess Olympic weightlifting was the, the pioneer of, of free weights, if you like, really, um, in terms of it being an Olympic sport. So I'd say, for me, when I'm explaining to people about the sport, I'd probably say it's the most dynamic and technical movement you, you can do in a gym with weight, um, I guess is the, is the best way to, to explain it. It's, uh, it certainly is technical. I remember the first time I seen someone ollie lifting or Olympic lifting, and I was like, what is this? This is like a bloody squat on. Yeah, yeah. It, and um, I think as well with it. So for example, I think about deadlifting, right? And I'm like, right. And I know you recently just put 200 above your head and congrats. Cause that's fucking unreal. So I'm like, right. Uh, yeah. Deadlift 200. I'm like, and then I just think for a second, I'm like, imagine putting this above my head, even getting it off the rack and squatting it. And then I'm like, okay. And that's when I think you can truly start to see like the athleticism that's required to be able to do something like that. Um, which is why I yeah, think, I think it's that a lot of people, when they, when they go into the, into the gym and they see people doing Olympic weightlifting, it's generally the one that's avoided the most because of the technical demand of it. I mean, if it wasn't for CrossFit, weightlifting wouldn't be as well known as it is today. And it, this, the people that are good at weightlifting wouldn't be as well recognized as they are. So, I mean, you have to pay dues really to CrossFit and the exposure that it has given the sport because I think a lot more people now um, are coming around to the idea of, first of all, trying Olympic weightlifting or getting introduced to it in different ways. You know, the Olympic movements are starting to have a little comeback in functional training for a lot of people now. And I do feel as though a massive part of that is because people are learning how to teach the sport better and people are actually understanding that it is a sport that is for everyone if done in the correct way. Mm. No, for sure. And, and like you said, it is due to a lot of the popularity of CrossFit, which you get a lot of stick as well. But again, it's always contextual. Then I think an appropriate question is, what do you think people can take from Olympic lifting and apply to everyday life or even other athletic endeavors? Like what are some of the main crossovers and correlations? I think one of the biggest things for me growing up um, with the sport of weight, Olympic weightlifting was the discipline um, it gave me. Unlike a lot of sports like, you know, for example, football or rugby, where there's money, there's fame, there's stardom and all of these external drivers to 
for a reason as a young kid to do a sport are there, you do not have an Olympic weightlifting. So I think in a way to, to be involved in the sport of Olympic weightlifting full stop, you have to have a very sadistic determination in order to want to participate in it. And the one thing that I love the most about Olympic weightlifting and the reason why it's a great challenge is for everyone is that you never win Olympic weightlifting and you never complete it. And it is very much a personal battle and there is always one more kilo um, that you can put on the board or put on the bar, which is one of the things that I love about it. But not only that, it means that in the sport of Olympic weightlifting, you can, you're competing against yourself essentially. So that no matter what standard you come into the room and you're at, so me clean jerking 200 kilos or you starting out and only being able to lift the five or 10 kilo bar, we can still train next to each other. We can still do the exact same movement. It's just you're varied dependent on the weight as to how good you are. And I love that. And it actually is a lot more inclusive than people, I think, um, people think. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think something as well, and I don't know if this is true, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Sonny, but it would seem that it's it's a more of a there's more of a culture there's more of a social sort of element to it where people are quite accepting like you said we could train next to each other regardless of what you're lifting and you can kind of have that little bit of chat like you can do the lifts like it's very it's very easy I like to sit down between sets <laughs> <laughs> well it's like it's like the power lifters mate you just sort of like 10 minutes boys, yeah. what's going on just chat a bit of shit which i think is really good now, obviously, yeah. you know, li lifting is going to be a bit of a reoccurring theme. It's going to pop up in the conversation. But as I have mentioned before, you know, I want to I want to really get into, you know, not just who Sonny Webster is. Like we know, you know, what you've done and, and who you are, but like why? And um, so tell me, you know, what, why you do what you do right now and perhaps explain what you do a little bit more in terms of, you know, your academy, your seminars. I know you mentioned that before as well. You know, you're really passionate about helping people. What's, what's your driving factor and perhaps even how it started and if it is different, Sonny, what it is now that, that keeps you doing what you're doing. And, you know, like we said off air before, you know, you've been working a lot and you've been putting the hours in. You're trying to find some balance at the minute, getting a bit of time to yourself. So what's the thing that drives you? Yeah, so I think you kind of you kind of touched on it briefly there before you asked me that question when you mentioned the culture, and you know I've been involved in the sport of Olympic weightlifting like I said for for twelve years now, and one of the things that I was told from a very young age when I first I would say within my first two or three Olympic weightlifting sessions is that regardless of what you do in this sport, you must leave it in a better place than where you found it. And I think that's important in whatever we do in terms of, you know, having an understanding as the, as the why or the reasoning as to why you do something is, for me, is to really be able to, like I said, leave the sport in a better place than I found it and to, and to leave a legacy. And for me, always having that, that deep down, I guess, feeling inside as that being why I do what I do will always continue to drive me. And I think for me, as, a, as an athlete, and any athlete will tell you that's competed at an elite, elite level or Olympic weightlifting or an Olympic level, it's an extremely selfish sport. And it's an extremely selfish place to be in if you really want to reach that, the highest level of, of sport. And I think from a very young age, I always had the dream to go to the Olympic Games. So in terms of my 
energy and my focus, it was always towards being able to compete in the highest level of sport. And I never thought it would be through weightlifting. God, I would have loved that I'd reached an Olympic level in sprinting or, you know, a sport that was much more recognized or well-paid. But weightlifting was my vehicle to be able to achieve my dream of becoming an Olympian. And I think I was very fortunate because I think a lot of people get into sport, get into jobs, get into work and not really know why they're doing it. Whereas from that young age, I always knew my why was because I wanted to go to the Olympic Games. And having that meant that every bad day's training, every struggle, every upset, every disappointment was all worth it once I achieved that end goal. So I, like you said, I think it's really important to understand understand that why and I think from an early age that was was my reasoning and I think in 2016 after the Olympic Games it kind of faded away and changed my focus changed because it then became you know from focusing on myself and where I wanted to be to helping others achieve their dreams too and back in 2000 and or 2000 and 11, 12, I was very fortunate to meet my first sponsor. Now, during this period in my life, I had no money, no financial support. Um, I was just about trying to work out whether I could continue to study whilst trying to be a full-time athlete and go to Olympic Games in a sport that had no funding. And I met one day this guy called Jeff Dovey, who you know, ended up becoming a lifelong friend of mine. Um, and almost like a brother to me now, but he was actually became my first sponsor. And I won't go into it in too much detail because you'll hear a lot more about that in other podcasts that I've spoken on, but one of the best things that he said to me is, you can have all the money in the world, but if you've got no one to share it with, it means nothing. And not only that, but to help someone else achieve their dreams or make someone else's dream a reality, it's priceless. There's no better feeling in the world. And Jeff made that a possibility for me, helped me achieve my dream of going to the Olympic Games. And I think for me, that really resonated with me now in, in what I do in that period of 2016 was instead of continuing to push towards achieving things for myself, I was actually taking a lot more away or getting a lot more out of helping other people succeed. And that didn't mean like succeed on a level of, you know, trying to get someone else to go to the Olympic Games. It was more from a point of view that helping other people get the buzz of hitting a new PB, being successful in, you know, in their training, being successful in um, overcoming any obstacle, whether it be a problem or something in business. And I was began to take a lot away from actually helping other people succeed. And in 2016, that really, that's when my focus really changed and why, you know, the, the academy was born, first of all, to help other people improve their Olympic weightlifting, but then also travel to start doing seminars to help people, first of all, learn from my mistakes, but also be able to, I guess, in a very selfish way, be a part of other people's successes as well. And, you know, it's a very nice feeling I guess deep down and it's not something that we I guess as a society focus on enough now but helping someone else succeed um, is equally as enjoyable um, and brings me as much satisfaction and I guess fulfillment in life to be a part of someone else's success and I guess now when you ask me what my why is 
it's that it's helping other people achieve um, and succeed in whatever they want to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you've, you've really struck a chord with me there. Um, selfishly, I, I, I share the same passion, uh, which unfortunately I think for you, like you said, you discovered that initially at such a young age in terms of that, let me, let me use a metaphor as a North star, right? It's like, I wanted to go to the Olympics. I was going to do whatever it takes. I think a lot of people, you know, they fuck around for a long time. It's, it's, it's normal. You know, it's the whole like, Oh, you know, you're at school. What do you want to be? What do you want to do? I don't know. Like, what am I meant to know? Like, you know, and there's this fear that I feel like school puts in as like, sit in your row, do your thing, get a qualification, get married, buy a house, this. And there's this whole ideology, which I'm really quite against because I didn't really follow that trend. And I thought, Oh, you know, if I leave school early and, you know, do this, you're going to fail. But as you said, it's not always the case. Sometimes you've got to go off the beaten track, but to have something that early on, I think is quite powerful. And I'm glad you mentioned Jeff uh, because that kind of, that was another question I was going to actually ask about, which will segue into inspirational people, mentors that you've had that you have in your life right now. But I just want to underscore a couple of other things there. And one in particular is the ability to serve and help others and the happiness that can deliver, not just like you said for yourself selfishly, but more to give like, there is nothing like that feeling of when you help someone and it's a shift in their body language, their mindset. It's not just about the pictures or it's not just about the weight on the bar. They, they, they evolve, right? It's not transform, transform sort of suggests that you go back and forth. And I, I don't like that bullshit 12 week transformation shite. It's like, no, no, no. It should be a constant journey. Like you should always be evolving and it's not just physical, it's mental. So I think, like you said, to be able to give that to people, travel the world, have the academy, be involved in that, it gives you goose pimples. And people who do that for a living truly know the definition of what that feels. So I think that's, yeah, I think that's quite uh, admirable that you're able to do that, you know? Yeah, and I think like you, you touched on there about there being a blueprint. And I would say, you know, I've definitely done a lot of, of blueprint things in my life albeit at a very young age, um, I feel like I've, I've kind of followed that blueprint. And I will, the same, like, have people that, you know, will come to me for, for direction and, you know, sort of help them decide what they want to do. But, you know, there's no right time when that could happen. And like you said, I do feel like there's a lot of pressure on the society now, younger people, to have to know what they want to be doing early on but at the same time I don't think that is the case and it could take you 30 40 50 years before really you work out what you're passionate about and I think that's always got to be the driving factor and for anyone that's listening to this it's not you know never chase the external outcomes it's always got to be the 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 internal driving forces and for me it's always passion that I think leads from the front in terms of what you should be focusing your energy into and where you see your purpose on this on this planet because we are extremely insignificant in the grand scheme of things but if each and every one of us can make a, a very small impact in whatever way it may be in whatever you know you can find passion in it is important and i think when you know we look to the people that we would see as successful or the people who, I don't know, we're inspired by, you know, um, they will they will too, just like someone that can seek happiness in the various simplest of things, 
have something that they're passionate about. Yeah, no, this is true. And like you rightly said, purpose was a key word for me there. You know, people, what's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? It is to have purpose, whether that's getting up because you've got a kid, you know, you've got a son or a daughter, your family you got to provide for, whether that's, you know, you're looking after your parents, whether that's you just need to get some money to pay for the food on the table, or whether hopefully at some point it's something else, it's something that you're truly passionate about, you know, usually via yeah, education. Yeah, and I think like like you said there, there's there's so many levels to that, and there's not not one that's better than the other in terms of the feeling of purpose is constant in you, in me, in to everyone that's listening to us chat now. Everyone, you know, it's all equal. There's no one's purpose is higher than another's in terms of what you feel internally. Although I'm sure the the pressure of some roles is different. The actual internal feeling of feeling purpose in in what you do actually remains the same regardless and I think to always remember that and instead of comparing because I think that's something that social media brings us to do a a lot is to compare you know someone's self-worth or their purpose against someone else's but it actually remains the same and you know regardless of like I said what you do for work or what you find you're passionate about it's no different from I'm passionate about fucking lifting barbells and eating burgers, you know? This is true. This is true. It's, it's similar with um, money. People think, you know, oh, you know, if I had a car like that or, you know, a girlfriend like that, it's like, no, no, no. Everyone's got problems. We just want better problems. But ultimately, if you were in that position, you'd realize that the grass is always somewhat what we think greener. So let, let, me, ask you, let me ask you this then, because it's interesting, right? So I was having a ponder the other day. And uh, like you said, you know, people often ask, you know, what should I do? Or, you know, like, what's a thing I should get onto in life? So I was trying to think about what I listened to. It was actually a Tim Ferriss podcast and, 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 a, and a penny drop for me. And it wasn't like the defining moment. There's no magic pill or anything. But it was one of his guests. I can't even tell you who it was, right? And it just, this person just said to me, it, he said, in life, you know, find something that, and I've said this many times, so I'll be quick, find something you're good at find something you're passionate about, combine the two, it's a dangerous combination because you need to be good at it to actually get paid for it and you need to be passionate to sustain it. And I was like, right, and that made sense to me. But I thought the other day, if someone was going to ask me or I was going to ask a question to my younger self to find my why or my purpose sooner, if I could, but sometimes again, it's the journey that you need to go through. And I argue that that's probably why I'm where I'm at today because I've gone through those other things and perhaps that's valuable. Yeah. Yeah, I sort of thought, and give me your perspective on this, Sonny. I thought, okay, imagine you've got everything you ever want right now, like fully, 100%. You've got all the material things you want. You've got all the physical. You've got all the mental, the relationship. You've got the girl. You've got the cars, if that's what you're into, the lifestyle, the money, everything, right? Now, you've got it. You've had it. You've gone on your holidays. You've bought you've whatever you've bought. Now, what is the one thing that you would continue to do on a daily? And for me, like you, I love lifting heavy shit and putting it down again. I love it. I love getting the pump. I'm not, I'm a bro. <laughs> I love lifting. I love the camaraderie. I love the way it makes me feel. I love the way it makes me look. I love it. Everything about it, the culture, you name it. So I thought, well, I'm on the right track, aren't I? But I had to go sort of full circle and chase fucking rainbows for years, sell cars, work in hotels, cafes, all this to kind of come back to that to figure it out. So my question to people now is put yourself in that 
hypothetical scenario and perhaps I'm not saying it will work and maybe for the listeners yeah. give it a go and think about like what you'd still do. Like, you know, who the people you're going to still hang around with, where are the places you're going to be and what are the things you're going to do? So I don't know how you feel about that, man, but yeah, I think, I think this is, it's such a good topic to unpack because it's definitely something that I, a question I've been asking myself a lot lately you know, um, and I think always having these every six months, every three months, check-ins with yourself really to understand what's actually important to you. And that's essentially what you're getting at there. What are the important things that would stay at continuum regardless of if everything else changed? And do you know what? I think one of the, the things that I noticed the mo most in terms of what changed to me as for example, more success, more money, you start to achieve those things you've always dreamed of or wanted. And I think for me, I always expected to feel a different way when I got those things or I achieved those things or I started to do the things I always dreamt of doing. But in, in actual reality, I never felt any different. And if anything, it actually stopped me starting to feel any sort of sense of feeling or emotion towards success, part of, partly down to not actually celebrating, you know, my successes or the things that I was achieving that I wanted to do, but partly because I was losing actual sight of what was important or the things that actually are the things that stimulate me or make me feel good. And it was kind of like a really good reality check that I need. And I think that this is an individual thing to everyone. You know, the, the things that you think you want and the things you think are going to bring you happiness versus the things that actually do are two very different things. And there's no right or wrong answer because I think, like, you know, people get lost in the fact of why, why does he care so much about having a fucking nice car or, you know, why would he spend so much money on um, a new house? Why does she want that dress that's so bloody expensive, you know? But everyone's got their... I guess their their juice, if you like. Everyone's got their their trigger, the things that you know excite them, or they want to invest their money in, or places they want to go and do. Everyone will have that, but in terms of the, and that's a very individual thing. But the things that deep down, you know, bring us happiness is very similar between in each and every one of us, and it actually comes back down to the very simple things that we have day in day out such as time such as um affection such as you know human connection the simplest things that we all share that are actually the things that we long for the most that aren't the sparkly things that we always think they are and i've definitely had that realization or i don't think it's ever ever something that you always out and out will master, but it's definitely something a check in that you have every six months or three months, especially when things are going bad or going good, to actually reality check what's important to me, what's bringing me happiness. And I think it works both ways because you can be in a position where things are going really well and being your least happy, in the same way as when things are going really shit, you could be in a very dark place and not know how to come out of that. And I think, again, resorting always back to practicing gratitude are the simplest things, thinking about, you know, your time, your energy, um, the connection with the people you've got around you is always a great way to kind of find your level again. Mm. 
yeah, like that calibration, etc., which is true. And I think that's one of the greatest ironies in it sometimes that, as you said there and explained very well, it's, it's not often what you think when you do achieve certain things. And it is important to celebrate the wins, no matter how big or small, you should always celebrate them because the journey is always better than the destination. Because when you're there, you, you want to go, it's like, oh, we're always putting like happiness on the horizon. And it's like, well, hang on. Like, how do we be, like, how do we be content right now? Like, I'll be happy when I get, it's like, no, 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 you won't. Like, cause then you'll want something else. Yeah, right. Be exactly. Um, I'm sure everyone here that's listening is, is a determined person in some walk of life, you know, or would, would put that down as they in their top five personality traits. And they'll feel very much the same. You know, you achieve your, your first $5,000 earned, you're going to want 10,000. You achieve, you know, buying your first car, you're going to want a better car. And there's, first of all, always a better car out there and there's always someone with a better one than you. <laughs> and if you, if you know those two things, like you said, the, I, I do feel it's much easier to, to find contentment in what you've got. And it's something I'll hold my hands up. I'm guilty of myself and something that I'm constantly constantly working on yeah and it's true and it's important to as one of my guests said a couple of weeks back live an examined life which i think is what you're referring to with those check-ins like having like you know as ali g would say you know check yourself before you wreck yourself to my uk crew listening um <laughs> yeah no what a shaka oh legendary but uh, it is it's those little things and i think something to segue then because it's quite appropriate as you mentioned that is apart from what you've already just spoke about do you have any like daily habits and routines apart from like gratitude that you keep within your day that's helped you stay grounded and have a little bit of structure and focus could be like morning evening i don't know could be something a bit obscure yeah, well, I go, I go in and out of different things. And I think, you know, the hardest thing when you start to put in practices into your life is actually staying consistent with them. Because I think we're very much guilty of, okay, I need a big change. And you go from one end of the scale to the other. <laughs> and it's not something that's sustainable. So I guess simple things for me and things that have changed a lot this year because I, man, I'm still I'm still learning every day and I make mistakes like anyone else does. I think it's sometimes hard to hard to see that from social media because you only actually see people's sugarcoating. But I think I'm one thing I'm very consistent with simple things is we go for a walk in the morning and get a little bit of sunlight. Me and the, me and my uh, girlfriend Linda get up. We just go for a walk, even if it's five, ten minutes, just a little walk. For me, um, I always down a, a liter of water and try and wait at least an hour or two hours before I have my coffee. Um, I let my brain wake up. I like to fill this out each day, which is my to-do list or my notepad, and it will just have very simple goals on it that I want to achieve. Maybe even one of those goals might be to walk, do my morning walk, or um, to check in with a couple of my friends or they could be very work related but I try and write down as much as physically possible on this so that I get that sense of achievement and that I'm ticking things off as I'm going through my days even if like now for example I hadn't wrote down do po do podcast of Alex I'll write that down to tick it off you know mm. and there's something about doing that especially when you're working towards a big goal, 
Um, where in my life, I'm, I've got six different businesses or many different businesses I'm helping. I can sometimes be sat here all day and actually be like, what have I achieved today? Whereas by having that little notepad and little tick book, um, I find that really helpful. So that's something that's in my day um, very often. And then I'm quite good with my food as well. So we, we do our food shops on a Monday and I try and stick to a, a fairly consistent diet. And then I have my big paper diary where every day I just write down things as I'm doing it. And I think for me, putting pen to paper is something that's helped me massively this year in terms of actually making goals a reality and actually giving me, I think for me, whenever I write it down, it's more likely to happen or it's ingrained more. So I guess they're simple things that daily for me that are in my routine that are, that are helpful. And it's like you said, there's no magic pill. It's actually just performing the, the simplest of tasks that we know, know the answers to consistently. It's all about being consistent. Mm. And that is a conversation I've been having a lot lately in terms of consistency. And um, I sort of was talking to a few people recent because of perhaps certain successes that have happened lately or the way I'm performing and looking. And I'm like, look, no, I'm not taking anything. There's nothing magic that I'm doing. There's no magic pill. And if I was, I'd, I'd share the magic pill with everyone. But it is just consistency. And I think over time, that is a build-up. And, you know, it's like, say, you've got your academy, your seminars, or where you're at now, even perhaps when you're at the Olympics, people go, oh, you know, it's all right. Or this, this, Where's this person come from? Or, like, they, they just got there and it was a bit of luck. And it's like, well, you didn't see all the days and the hours and the fuck-ups and the mistakes and, and all of this. And I think anyone who is truly successful in every, every sense of the word knows that. It is, it is a time and it's just doing these like unglorious things. Like you said, that to-do list is so critical. Whether And it doesn't matter how you do it, like whether it's on your phone, whether it's a notepad, whether it's three things. But if you just keep chipping away every day and you just make those little deposits, over time that adds up and it magnifies. And I think that because that's not like, it's not, it's not sexy, it's not marketable, it's not like, oh, you know, do this and get $10,000 on the fucking YouTube ads people don't think that it's the way to go because it doesn't sound very glorious. It's the same yeah. like lifting. Going on a notepad, buying a Bic and a notepad from Tesco, it doesn't sound sexy at all. But, you know, it's like you said, it is, it's the simple things um, that, like you said, done, done correctly will, will be most helpful. But in the same way, I think, like, you know, I've brought up some very basic things, but everyone that's listening will have things in their life that they'll do every single day. And I always liken this back to when I'm teaching someone to do weightlifting and they'll have a pre-lift process. And I go, they go, what? What's a pre-lift process? And I'll go, there'll be things that you currently do every single time before you lift without knowing it that's part of your pre-lift process. It may be like wiggle your bum or you might push your hair back behind your head or pull your top down. And these little things are kind of, I guess, markers as to you're preparing yourself to perform. And the same thing will happen in people's lives now. There are things that they'll be currently doing that are part of their routine or the things that we've just discussed then that you're not currently aware of, but they're part of what you do that makes you great each day or the things that makes you perform a certain way each day. So I think like sometimes it's not even just 
um, bringing in a, a new intervention. It's actually just acknowledging what it is that you currently do that's causing outcomes now. Whether that's eating McDonald's every day on a Friday morning and you feel shit every day on Friday afternoon, you wonder why, that's maybe the thing that would need a change. Or, you know, if on Tuesday and Wednesday you always lift best and they're the days you wake up and you've done the washing up and you haven't got the kids and you go, well, okay, that's something that's part of my process when I perform best. And it's just acknowledging the things that maybe be affecting you good and bad and then altering what you've already got before you actually try and bring in new interventions. Because I think like we're funneled all the time with if you start drinking two liters each day in the morning, you're going to feel 10 times better. You know what I mean? There's always this new intervention rather than actually just working with what you've got. Yeah, that's come by better actually realizing what you've got. Mm. It, sometimes it's not what you're not doing. It's what you're already doing, but that's fucking it up. And it's a good, yeah. it's a good example. I talk, I talk, um, when like, cause nutrition's a big thing, right? Everyone's like, Oh, you know, like I eat pretty good. And I'm like, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. But it's, you do eat good, but you over consume, <laughs> you know, cause you're teaching people energy balance or it's like, well, you eat really good, but actually you eat too much of this or this. And so I think again, it's like comes down to that binary approach. It's not always, um, more sometimes it's less which which is the obviously a popular saying in in terms of you know you you touched base on jeff before is there any people in your life i know you've got a really good support network with your friends um based on listening to the podcast and and what i've learned so far but do you have any really uh key people i know lindell's obviously very key as well do you have um any other mentors or or people that are key in your lifestyle at present or perhaps even like through i think you studied at bath if i've read correctly you know within your weightlifting yeah. or olympic lifting career or even like outside i know any other you know interventions that you've done any other sporting endeavors that you know you keep you yeah. grounded and really help you yeah i think there's the the thing when it comes to key people or inspirational people for me whenever whenever goes to somebody who inspires you it's never been the the necessarily the feet of one person. Um, it's kind of the the personality traits of people that inspire me the most. I think one of the things that you know is individual to every single one of us are the people that you know the five people that you spend most of your time about time around, and you're very much a byproduct um, of those people. And yes, I probably do spend more time in my life with Lindell than anyone else, and. I think those people that are closest to you are the most like that deserve the most praise and pressure because they deal with you when you're at your best and when you're at your worst. And I think that's always something to acknowledge as well. It's like the people that support you when you're doing shit um, or when you're struggling, when you're upset, when you're down. And I think the, the people there, like, you know, it's like Lindell, um, who deals with me on a da daily basis um, in my emotional mood swings and vice versa is a very fundamental part of my life. Um, I don't go a day where I don't speak to Jeff. Um, every day I speak to him. Um, I'd, I'd be a very different person without him. Um, he, you know, he's got so much knowledge, so much experience that, you know, again, for me, it's being around people that have more experience than you that can help you not make the same mistakes or can advise you with experience and knowledge is really important. Um, 
Australian strength coach, Bass. You know, I spend three days a week with him. An extremely knowledgeable bloke, not only just in what he knows about training, um, in his philosophy is as, as well. Um, he's, a, he's a father. He's been in a relationship for 20 years um, with one woman. I think that's commendable in its, you know, in itself. And there's a lot of, he's very much a family man. And there's a lot of things that, you know, just when I sit and listen to, to Bass, I take on board. And I love just listening to him talk. And I always leave the room after I've been in a room with Bass, having something to think about or things that make me tick over. Um, so he's very important. Um, and then I've got a friend, Arcadius, um, who's actually in finance. And he's one of the one person I've met in my life where you'll meet, everyone will meet certain people in their lives, but I just know whatever that guy ends up doing, what he's going to touch, he's going to turn to gold. He's got the gift of the gab, and it's just something about him that excites me as, um, as a friend. Um, he's got a kind heart. He's very um, intelligent, and he sees the things that, not everyone else would see and I, it's a hard thing to describe but I've got people that I've had around me in my life that just have they see things through a different lens you know and I think it's an extremely um, extremely good talent to have um, so he's very inspiring to me um, as, a, as a businessman as a friend um, and then I guess that those people, just because I've been around them the most recently, have probably had the biggest impact. But I've also got a friend, a lady, Susie, who was my first ever PT client um, back in the UK, who I speak to regularly. Um, she's um, she's just around 45-ish, I think. Um, she's an extremely successful um, property developer, very proper, polite um, English lady. Um, but again, for me, we have got completely different personality traits, um, but again, share a lot of similarities. And I think for me, always using her as a sounding board um, for, I guess, for her to keep me grounded and focused and to think um, a little bit more old school mentality. And for me to her, keeping her young, excited and thinking about taking more risks. So. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of brilliant people around me. I could talk for days around the people that I'm lucky to have around me. I mean, you know, uh, another massive thing that we've been diving into on my podcast as well, and we're going to talk about a lot more this week, is how our upbringing and our we're shaped by our parents and our childhood. And I think, you know, although I don't have the closest relationship now with my with my parents, it's something that I have, as I've got older, realised plays a huge impact into the way I am as a human and, and my personality, you know, and I think it's taken, it takes a while before you grow up to be able to realize that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you can hear your passion in your voice when you talk about those people. And I mean, I think it's quite, um, it's, it's a beautiful thing when you can establish relationships with people, like you said, I think like Susie, your clients, people that you can stay connected with that keep you honest and no matter how many years or the miles of the difference, you can, you can continue that. Um, your friend, did you say Ar Arcalian? Arcadius. Is he Greek? Because that's a, a wicked name. <laughs> no, he's Polish. I probably he? said it wrong. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're happy with Well, now it's it sounds uh, it, it sounds good. No, that one just uh, it caught my eye. And I think for people listening as well, something that is critical. And I ask these questions for you know a reason. They're they're fun, but they generally they display that again. It's like you said before, Sonny. You know who you hang around with the most will influence you. And I guess for a, a bit of a takeaway for people as well, something that really has helped me and has helped a lot of people. So I'm just going to pay this forward. And it's really cutthroat. But if you spend time with someone and you and you feel like, ask yourself after, you feel better or worse? And if it's always you feel worse, you cut down the time with that person, cut them out. And if you feel better, then you should increase that time. And it's very simple. And obviously it's not always fair because you might be in a bad mood or it just you know you might have had an argument with someone but i think like something as a north star is you do have to be very cautious because time is you know one of the most elusive you know transactions we have on this planet so you do have to be mindful um as it's running out yeah i couldn't agree with you but still again you know it's only something that i've realized this year is you know it is so important the people that you decide to invest your time in and if they're not adding to you and making you grow as a person, like you said, reducing that might not be a bad idea. I wanna, I wanna talk about, I wanna talk more about your academy and public speaking as well, and perhaps give us a bit of a an insight as to what you were feeling when you first started doing your seminars, your speaking. Um, and perhaps what some of the biggest lessons learned when you were getting live and you actually meeting people face to face that perhaps had followed you for a long time and you know they were learning from you and and sort of talk us through what that was like to be able to get get you know meet the people and 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 speak in front of them and and do it in a live setting because obviously as you said everything's so um glazed if you will with with filters these days in social media and i think that and I always talk about this. People say, you know, why, why do you still do the one-on-one, Alex? And I'm like, well, one, it helps me build my business still. But I love it. I'm a, I'm a face-to-face guy. And I'll, and I'll always try and do some way, shape, or form of that. I don't think I ever want to lose it. I think it keeps the sword sharp. And um, it also keeps you relatable and personable. And that's how you really connect with your followers, with your friends, with your community. And you, you like you said, you create that culture, which is vital, I think, um, in ongoing success yeah i think for like you said there i think when you're doing face-to-face for me doing face-to-face seminars although from a business point of view it's not something that i rely on like it used to it i still get the most out of it in terms of it how it fulfills me and again i think that's just from me as an understanding it's knowing that you know doing that is just as important to make me feel good keep me sharp and make me a good coach when I'm working face to face with people um I think when it first started um god I remember shit myself um trying to deliver my first seminar um I think you know I always I think you do with with what everyone does everyone that's even listening now you everyone knows you know you know how to do your job but i think sometimes when you're trying to explain it to someone else it can be very daunting and i think in those first few weeks or the first few seminars i think one of the biggest things for me was actually saying everything that i said with confidence and it made such a difference because at the end of the day now if i was to sit here and tell the guys that if you know if you tuck your pinky finger you know round the back of um, your third finger when you're setting up to the bar it's going to help improve your grip 
a lot of people are going to go, oh, fuck, well, Sonny said this is going to be all right. And, you know, you say it with another assertiveness, they'll be like, oh, yeah, okay. And and they'll do it. So I think people genuinely will just trust whatever whatever you say because they believe in believe in you. And I think it's always remembering that and being confident that um, what you're saying is is good and it's worked, you know. And a lot of what I teach, I I could bore you to death with the biomechanics of Olympic weightlifting, the technical aspects of the sport. But really, it's like I I don't feel the need now as I've become a more successful coach to overcomplicate things or to make things sound more technical than they need to be and I really try and keep things simple speaking a language in which people can understand and people can interpret and give people real life situations that they can relate to and I think that's really important now as as I've evolved as a coach and someone who teaches and public speaks it's to always resonate I guess with with my audience and to always give each and every single person that comes and attends a seminar because it is important to me that you know, these people have been supporting me for years and are excited to see me, that every single person leaves a room that I've been in with something that's person, personal to them. Um, because it's easy to forget, I think, as your following, your following grows, where it was once upon a time when you first started as an influencer or first started as a figure of authority, that it all started with one or two people. You know, even now it can be in excess of, you know, millions for some people. Each and every single one of those people is just as much inspired or motivated by you. And I think it's easy to take that for granted sometimes when you're reflecting, reflecting, educating, inspiring and speaking to um, to your audience. Yeah, and no, I, I love that, mate. It, the keep it simple thing, because I think we see too much of either it's oversimplified and there's actually no actual structure or science or, or so it's like, Oh, well I said, it's like, oh, okay, well that's great. Thanks mate. But at the same time, people try to make it more confusing because you will have to do it on this 45 degree angle to hit the tricep on the 25th. And it's like, well, hang on a minute, mate, just do a push down. Huh? You know, and sort of explaining, yeah, all right, let's use some basic terminology, whatever it is, but and then using metaphors and examples and people are like, Oh, I'm like, Yeah, you know, it's like a car, you start it up, you warm up the body similar, you can do this, do that, whatever. And um I it's think a lot of way that people can understand and people interpret it. It doesn't make you any less smart to use simpler simpler terminologies and at the end of the day if you know, you you spoke to someone that did speak a more technical language, then you'll also have that opportunity to go into a little bit more detail with that individual. And I think it's always, you know, worth remembering that and to, to speak to your audience, not to the tone that to you that you think. I think that's good advice. And 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 uh, things I've also got to keep in mind as well myself a lot of the time because I like to use language and sometimes. I've learned from other people I've looked up to that it's like, wow, you know what? I, I don't need to make it that technical because I'm speaking in riddles. It's like, yeah, you need to explain something, but again, make it, make it relatable and make it easy to absorb, make it fun. You know, we've got to have that in terms of gifts. Are there any things that you gift resource wise, to people, to friends, or vice versa, gifts that you've received. It might even be links. It might be something that you've got around the house that 
you found really valuable or, or life-changing or something that's been like, you know what, that was a game changer for me. It, like it could be the notepad. It could be a timer. Yeah. I don't know. It could have been like some lifting straps or something. I don't know. Anything with sentimental value. Yeah, I think when I think about the things that is as, as most sentimental to me, um, I think as an athlete, when I was younger, I used to have a lot of things that I was sentimental with because it gave me security. And I think with with anything that's sentimental, it makes you feel a certain type of way, which is why you've hung on to it for as long as you have, whether that be, you know, feel stronger when you've got that one, feel more confident when you're wearing that one, or whatever it may be. And... It, I used to have a lucky pair of socks that I used to have whenever I used to lift. I think they were an old pair of my sister's socks, but I used to always have those particular pair when I lift. And um, one day I, I forgot them and I didn't perform well. And I started to then, and that wasn't the first time something like this had happened to me. And the same thing then happened um, on my Olympic trials. I prepared all my special outfit that I was going to be wearing to the Olympic trials, planned it out for days, and I forgot it on the day of the competition. Just completely, it's another, it's a completely another long story, but I rocked up to the most important day of my life and I didn't have the things that were sentimental to me or the things that I thought as though I needed in order to perform. And it changed my thinking towards sentimental things because I think if you put too much sentiment on a particular thing in order to either be the best version of yourself or in order to perform as best you can, you can kind of set yourself up to failure for, for those things not being there. And I think in our lives we'll have things that come and go, things that will disappear, things that we'll, we'll lose. And I think sometimes actually not holding too much sentiment in particular things is good because I think um, else you become reliant on them. And I know that deep down, if you want to perform your best under any scenario, you have to be able to adapt to, to not having those things sentimental around you. But in terms of the things, I guess, that you know have been gifts that have been a game changer, like I think they're the things I've held up already and showed you the notepads, um, the simple things like that, um, that I do keep around me or can't leave the, the house without. Um, I think for years as well, like from a personal point of view in, in business, I really struggled to invest in things that were going to help me grow as a, as a business because I think it's a very scary thing if you're starting out as an online PT or starting out as an influencer or starting a podcast, for example, to go away and spend four or five grand on the equipment you need to do it. But although it's something that you know in the long run is going to pay you back, it's, it's a scary thing to begin with. And I think there's been lots of things, you know, now as I've got older and more developed in business that I've invested in myself and have been gifts to myself from a business point of view that, you know, have been worthwhile investments in, in, in the long run. Yeah. No, there's some, there's some good stuff in there, I think, uh, to take away, especially like you said. I think we've all, we can all relate to a time where we'd prepared something. It might not be as a big event as you had on there, but you know, when you forgot it and you were like, Oh, I remember I used to motor race back in the day, you know, and it's like forgetting your rib protector or something like that, or your fucking racing boots. And you're like, Oh, and your dad would be like, what are you doing? Like, oh, fuck. (laughs) But then you realize it's like, well, I don't, I don't need. Yeah. Um, 
and you sort of it's a good skill that is forced upon you to learn and understand that you know what I, I as long as I've got my mind and obviously the basic equipment for whatever it is like I can get this done but it's almost like that whole if someone trains in the AM versus the PM I use this as like a simple analogy like people think I can't train evening I can't train in the morning I'm like you can it's in your head and you can retrain your body but sometimes you just have to you have to tell yourself like the mind the mind is powerful um, which is which is interesting. I was like that for years. I was like that for years, and then I would only ever comp- like lift my heaviest weights at like five six o'clock um, in the afternoon. You still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did it freeze? Yeah, I don't lift my heaviest clock, lift heaviest weights in five six o'clock in the afternoon, and then basically um, I qualified for the world championships, and we're out in Houston. And the opening list came out for the times in which people were competing. And basically what happens in weightlifting is like the A group, like the best group, like the top five that are going to potentially win medals, they lift last. And then like the worst people lift the earliest in the day. <laughs> and I was in like the worst group for this competition. And the competition started at seven o'clock in the morning. I had ended up competing doing my lifts and making it back in time to the hotel before fucking breakfast had finished. <laughs> and the way in which I changed or prepared for that would, I would just every day in the lead up to the competition, the seven hours before I'd go to bed an hour earlier and wake up an hour earlier. So I think you do, you know, in scenarios like that have to train your body out of that mentality and that thinking. And, you know, like you said, the, the brain is a powerful tool. <laughs> Yeah, you've got to be able to just zone in and make it happen sometimes because it doesn't matter how much you prepare, the carpet will always be pulled from underneath you at some point. I always say to clients, that, you know, when people are like, oh, you know, it's been a bad week or it's been this, and I'm like, look, I'm like, it's all good. Like, it's not a bad week. It's just a challenging week. Like, there's always a shit storm out there. Sometimes it's just raining shit. And, you know, you get these things, bang, bang, bang. We're all going to go through them in life. Unfortunately, it's, you know, if we lose someone in our family or whatever it might be, and they're going to be tough times. But if we like focus on these basics and the things we can control, we can always have it's like good, better, best. You know, it's like good, better, or best week. It's like, yeah, you know what? This wasn't brilliant, but I still, I still did something. I still got the, the dart on the board, um, which I think is important, which relates back to con- consistency, what we were saying before. Well, what I want to ask now is what are some things that you do partake in or like that no one would know about you or wouldn't suspect that you feel sharing? Oh, things that I partake in. Um, well, everyone knows, everyone knows I like to send it and go out and have a drink. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, Love a let let loose in that. Um, things that I do that people wouldn't necessarily know about me. I think I'm very open in terms of you know what I expose myself self to um, and and what I do and what I don't do. Um, to be honest, <clears throat> I think you know other other than that, I, I don't keep any secrets with with regards to that. To be honest. Hmm. So you're not like someone like who loves to like secretly play like Scrabble or something like that or play bingo on a Saturday. No. All these. No, do you know what that? Like, and I know like James is James has like his plays video games and he's like big into that. I don't have 
any of that, you know what I mean? I think like my release or my excitement, the things I love to do is my activity, my sport. You know, I love being outdoors, going for walks um, and exercise. That's where I get my biggest um, adrenaline hit from is, is my exercising. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'm, I'm big into that. I do, obviously. Um, I love my shopping, my clothes and, and things like my materialistic things as well. Um, I do have a big soft spot for that sort of thing. Uh, but again, it's a it's a very it's a very personal thing. It's just fashion and things like that that excite me. Uh, it's the whole reason why I've got Big Friday Supplies, my clothing brand now, because that's an opportunity for me to again fuel another passion of mine in in clothes. Mm. No, that's that's fair enough. And I guess, like you said, if you are someone who's quite open about it, and you sort of you you dot the i's and cross the t's with everything else. It's like you said, it's open out there with social media. And I, I do want to get yeah, your... see everything. You see everything that's that's online. There's there's not many hours in my life where you, you don't you don't see, you know. That to be honest, a lot of it though is is sat right here. I am working and do you know what I, I'm excited by my work. So I I am happy to sit here for three or four hours and smash out a load of work because it does does excite me as well. So you know, it's sometimes I think a lot of people are stuck in jobs where they don't love or they're too scared to try something different. And it goes back to what we we're saying about people finding what they're passionate about. You know, I truly believe you can make money or make a living and live a happy life out of the most weirdest, obscure things if you truly believe in yourself. And like I said, you let the passion drive you. I agree. You just got to be prepared to the risk. This is true. We live in a world where whether it's origami or making cheese, if you're passionate about it, you make money from it. Be the best fucking cheese maker there is. Exactly. I love me some cheese on a burger. Now, <laughs> I do want to ask this before we get into some like rapid fire hypothetical questions. And then sort of I have a, a, a key question that I ask all my guests. But before I do, Sonny, I think it's I think I'd be doing myself a disservice if I didn't ask this because it's so prevalent in what you do and current to you know, what we're doing now in 2020, which is the social media. And I want to get your perspective and advice, not only from what you do, but also perhaps for the listeners in terms of like, how do you handle and manage that in terms of, do you have any rules where you're like, I don't have my notifications on, I'll just get on there a couple of times a day, or are you just a bit of a free for all? How do you manage that? And perhaps because you do have, you know, a large following and you're getting a lot of comments, like, are you going through all them yourself? Like, do the, do the negative um, comments get to you? How do you, how do you handle all that? Yeah, man, it is really difficult. And you know what? I think if I knew the answer to this question, it'd be the million dollar, it'd be the million dollar question. Because I think it's something that everyone's starting to acknowledge and realize now, but no one really knows what the answer is. Um, I think for me, like I always remember, and it's sad, but this is this is true in a sense as well, that social media is it's, it's work, it's my business. And everything that I, you know, do there is to create a certain emotion, is to create a certain reaction, you know, and like I always remind myself that that's what that's what social media is to me. It's a tool um, in a sense to push and promote my business and promote myself. Um, I don't think really, although social media, in my opinion, was originally 
created to help people connect with other people and create community, I don't think it is that now. I think it's a very toxic tool in order to promote, sell products and um, grow business. So I think the, the first thing for me there is reminding myself of that. Um, I've seen firsthand the way that you know negative comments can affect people, grind on people. And we're so influenced now, if you've seen the new documentary um, on Netflix, we're so influenced now by, you know, social media and, you know, how people react to us that don't even know us. It's it's scary, you know. If you post something and you see it has it gets a thousand likes, for example, you're like, fuck, and you feel good about yourself because you've had that gratification or that, you know, people acknowledging you. And I think it's always important to remember that we shouldn't look to social media for that gratification or for self-worth because it is very um, manipulated by the people who run social media, you know. Um, so I think, again, as a second point, that's really important to not, for me as well, not look to it for that. Um, very often I know exactly what content is going to go really well what content isn't going to go really well what content's going to make me lots of money what content isn't going to make me much money so for me it's like I'm not driving particular content if I post me doing silly barbell skills each and every day I will get shitloads of interaction and a load of comments I know that that's a result of that if I post something that's quite educational um, and has a call to action to engage in one of my products I know that I'm going to help educate people, which is going to bring me a good sense of feeling, but then it's also going to run towards me making more money or growing my business. So I think that I'll always acknowledge that whenever I'm posting something um, as, as a third thing. Um, in terms of how I manage my time on it, I'm not good at that. Um, I'll hold my hands up. I think, you know, me and Lindell's an influencer as, as as well um, she's a model she's very on social media a lot so we in our household it's kind of like there isn't we have to set boundaries with it because it does consume our our lives you know um, I think for me connecting with people via email um, people being on my email list is important because I can reach them and speak to them on a deeper level than what I do with people on my Instagram story or through watching a post. So I think having that's important. I think we try our best to leave our phones in the first part of the day, and I think that's something for everyone. Um, if you can just do your first 15 minutes of the day without your phone, you'll be really surprised the impact that can have on the rest of your day. If you wake up to a notification from you know, someone that said something negative or your, you know, some bad news, it can really affect the rest of your day. And I don't think your brain's awake and alive enough yet at that point um, to deal with it. So what's really important for me is the first thing I do is I go either leave my phone, put my phone outside the bedroom when I go to bed, or if it is in my bedroom, don't look at it until I've had my, at least had my shower and my water before I come back to it. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's those things, simple things that can be helpful. But again, like I'd be lying to you if I said that I've got those things on lockdown because I don't. 
Um, and I'm very aware of how social media consumes me and in what I do in my business and in, in my job. And like I said, this is all part for me over the next, like the, this week especially, it's finding that balance and that, that understanding better. Mm. No, I appreciate your honesty as well, mate. It's, it's good. And I mean, it's always good to keep it real. And I think, as you said, it is a big question now and it's hard to really know. I don't think there is a, personally, I don't think there's a specific answer to that. I think uh, to, to null it down and again, perhaps for the listeners, it's do you control it or does it control you? And I think if you control it, it's fine. But when it gets out of hand, which once again, I've been there, you know, I've been spending too much time on it in the past and I found things that work for me, but that's not going to work for everybody else. So like you said, understanding it, I think is a key thing there. Like you said, you know, being being efficient as well with your, with your time on it. You know, if there's certain things, if I'm going on to post something and get on there, do the, like, like I said, I'll have my four boxes of my social media posts that I do each day. Get on, do them, and then and then and then get off, and not get stuck in a stuck in a fucking vortex of flicking through just meaningless shit. But yeah, turning notifications off is good because like like I'm, it's not something like we've been sat here for a minute, and my WhatsApp's just as bad as my fuck emails and everything. This is just in oh, wow. our conversation, you know. So. Like the amount of notifications that will come up, even from important stuff from, on my phone, is is silly in in the space of an hour. But I think keeping that down is important as well, and um, to not having things that don't matter too much popping up on your phone. So then again, like you said, you're in control when you go on your email, or it's not Instagram that decides when you've got a notification. Because if again, if you got if anyone that's listening hasn't gone and watched that documentary yet. On, on Netflix, the apps are designed to get us to spend as much time on there as possible. Yeah, it's so true. I, um, I'm a big believer. I'm reading a book at the minute from Joe Dispenza, Evolve Your Brain. And it was talking about how, like, you know, we have these anchors, you know, the fight and flight. And, like, every time that thing pings, like, even like, I say to some clients of mine who are, like, coaches as well, and they're like, you know, how do you manage your time with this? And I'm like, well, this is just what I've found. But I'm like, if you just turn all your notifications off by your texts and your calls, because I'm like, back in the day, when I used to go on my mom's mobile, I played Snake on it, and that was it. And it was for course. <laughs> but now, yeah. you remember those days? Yeah, it was, that was it. It was yeah. Snake on nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um. And, and now it's everything and, and it pings. And even if you're not going to check it, you're like, you're on edge because you're like, I need to. Yeah, I need to. Need to yeah. Or you start like reading I mean, the message and it's like, fuck, and it's on your mind. Do you know what? It's so nice, you know, especially some mornings when Linda and I do our walk, we do leave it at home. And it takes a little while, like you said, to get over that anxiety that people don't actually need you or it's not important you have your phone. You can actually connect far better with the person that you're with as well and get into a much, you know, deeper level of conversational connection with the people you're around when, when the phone isn't there. Um, but like I said, it's something that I'm playing around with and, and learning as well. So um, don't be ashamed if anyone's listening and you've got all those things wrong that I've just highlighted there because I do them as well um, and I'm learning with you. But it's just making that those small changes just, you know, and then do the best you can from there. Yeah, man. hundred percent. It's almost like, like you need to go back to go forwards and people like listening in our generation will know that. I don't know about you, but when I was in the UK, I always, I always found my mates 
I don't have a phone. I always got home on time, right? There was, and now I'm like, how would I meet up? How would I meet up with my mate if I didn't like? But we would because we'd be at the gym or something. Something would happen. You work it out, you know. You do, you do. Um, I want to move on to quickly some more rapid fire hypothetical questions for my, my for my last one, uh, Sonny, because you've been very generous with your time, and I, I appreciate that. Um, which is. Uh, and these are just a bit of fun. I know you like this, so this will be good. I'll ask some that I think are going to be more bespoke to you. And the first one is because I know you love food like me, and I think I know what the answer is, but we'll ask it anyway. Favorite food, if you had one last meal or one meal that you had to eat for a whole week, what would it be? It can be entree, you can have main, drink, whatever. There's no rules, mate. Go for it. Yeah. So it'd be a burger, but the burger, right, has to be buttermilk fried chicken Here we go. and beef. Bacon, cheese, lettuce, tomatoes, raw onion. That's my perfect combination. So two beef, two chicken patties. So it's, it's a big burger. Yeah. And then I've got a little fetish for having a steak. And then these uh, pizzas that we get, the frozen one, Dr. Onkran or whatever they are. Spinach, one of them. But a steak and a pizza at the same time and eat the steak with knife and fork and the pizza is just... A lovely, lovely little combination there. Um, third favorite food would be um, Indian tikka masala or butter chicken with garlic and cheese naan. They're like my like three, they're my three weaknesses, but I've got a terrible sweet tooth as well for chocolate. Mate, that is probably. Mate, you're trying to get me a fucking physique, mate. <laughs> Flexible dieting 101. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I think. Um, Mate, that is probably the quickest response that I've had and the most specific. Mate, I love that. That was just like bang, 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 bang. I love that, mate. Um, out of interest, where do you get that burger from? Because that is that must be a big fucking burger. I I make it when I go in. You go into any good burger shop that sells burgers, you just tell them how you want it and they just look at you like, what? And you're like, just do it. <laughs> and they're in the back going, we should try this shit. You're like, you can thank me later, mate. But it comes out like yeah. that. Yeah, for the gram. <laughs> for the gram, hashtag. Uh, <laughs> for the kids. All right, the next one is because obviously um, the elephant in the room, COVID, uh, if you could travel to anywhere in the world right now, uh, tomorrow with Lyndall, you know, whoever's important to you, you take your friends as well, where would you wake up and, and why would it be? Would it be back in the UK? Would it, would it, it could be where you are now. Would it be somewhere different? We're, we speak about it daily. I just want to be in Bali on a moped, just cruising around in a white in a beta and my sliders and training in Wanderlust. You know, I'd be that's we speak about it all the time. It's the first place we want to go as soon as we can travel again. I think for Australians and people who live in Australia, oh fuck me, Bali. Everyone goes to Bali, like whatever. Like it's the nearest place they can go on holiday. But like I said, I've travelled so much of the world, but. It's just that nothing makes you feel more free than pinging around Bali on a moped and, you know, having a bin tang for one one dollar or whatever it is. And, you know, I just love it. Right. Simple pleasures. Yeah. Simple pleasures. All right. My next one for you is if you could choose any superpower and you can make it up, what would it be and why? Oh, probably. I would probably increase time, you know, like I think. I'd, I'd definitely add a, I'd add a few more hours into each and every day. I wouldn't want I wouldn't want it to relive 
any moments because I think like we've touched on previously, I think like every bad moment or experience we've been through is is a lesson and you know that's why that's one of my favorite quote, quotes the biggest lesson to be learned when we lose you know so it wouldn't be to go back in time it would just probably be to make make more of it um and you know that would probably be it to be honest time that's, increase that's, that that's pretty cool um that's a new one i've not had that one yet i'll add that to not sleep. i fucking like i love sleep but i wish it was something that we didn't need or something that we didn't long for to operate because that that would be so helpful well if you think about it what was that now you spend a 30 years life sleeping so then you'd you'd have a whole nother third to your life so that would be that there would almost grant your first superpower to increase time so that would be that would be a good one as well yeah win-win <laughs> now my last question spoiler alert it's not a space fact you have to worry about that but <laughs> <laughs> I'll make you up a fucking good one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let you save that for Monday. Um, but it is it is a bit more serious, but it can be fun as well. And it is, I ask all my guests, and it's can you identify a fear in your life that you've had? It can be big, can be small, could be something you did the other day, could be years ago. What the fear was, how you overcame it, and what it's taught you about life. And I have a sneaking suspicion it might be relating to that quote that I know is your favorite quote that you just said before, but could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I think it's definitely becomes a massive part of it. Um, in, in my failures that I've had, um, I think one of the biggest fears that, that I have is, um, I guess not feeling, um, my own, like feeling worth in, in what I do, you know, and finding that, I guess being content, um, that's something that I fear probably daily, finding contentment in what I'm doing and, and who I am, um, which is a, is a daily battle for me because I don't really know what the right answer is to that. So it's not something that I'd say I've overcome. It's something that I, I work on, um, especially as, like I said, I, I do some fucking cool shit and have achieved some amazing things. But, you know, a lot of people sat in my position might think, well, you know, you must be happy, but I, I'm, I'm always still longing for more. So I think that that fear of never finding contentment is my, my biggest deep down fear. Um, but I guess, like I said, with some of the th things that we've already spoken about today that help towards that is to really try to tick boxes, acknowledge what you do and achieve each day, um, practice gratitude of, of what you've got each and every day. And I think they're the things that will eventually lead me to finding contentment in what's actually right in front of me and you know what what's to come mate no respect and i you know what i think that's a really appropriate way to to finish off what's been a really well-rounded and an enjoyable conversation with lots of little nuggets sonny um <laughs> before we sign out um your academy your links mate give us the plugs where can people find more about you and um also, maybe what's your what's your plans for the future? Uh, obviously, with, with everything going on right now, like where are you taking it? Are you going to expand the academy? Have you got some seminars that are going to come up? Obviously, you've got Big Friday supplies, etc. Yeah. Anything new? So I've got, I guess, where do we start? So there's Sunny Webster Academy. That is where I do all things weightlifting. I teach people how to get into the sport. I'm sure there's a lot of people 
that listen today that are not what the hell is Olympic weightlifting, but I'd, I'd be keen to give it a go. You go to the sunnywebsteracademy.com. You can get a free trial there. Um, you can also check out all of my different training programs. I've got programs for mobility. I've got programs for improving your squat. I've got programs for improving your Olympic weightlifting if you already do it. That is my coaching education there. Um, my clothing line that just come out is Big Friday Supplies. Um, we already sold out of our first drop, um, but we are doing another drop in the near future. Um, it's going to be the first hype brand to sportswear, to gym wear, to weightlifting wear, I hope. Um, and I'm putting a lot of my energy and creativity into that, and that's been very enjoyable. Um, I then have... I guess your email list is always a good place to find me. Um, jump on my email list. I'm always writing all sorts of random shit there, but stays up to date. Um, I've just launched my own barbell brand with Apex Day One. Um, I've got my charity in Soweto. Um, they've got a huge fundraiser that's starting tomorrow, um, which will probably be a little bit late for the listeners here, but um, definitely go and check out Lifting Dream Soweto. Um, I've partnered with uh, well, set up a charity out there to actually build gyms in Africa to give people an opportunity and something to focus on, which is extremely, again, fulfilling for me. We didn't even get onto that today, but go and check that out, Lifting Dream Soweto. Um, if there's anything that you can do to help support these kids, um, I'd be extremely grateful. And, yeah, so that's that's kind of it from me, guys. No, appreciate it, man. And I did have that question on my list, actually. Uh, I thought that was very cool perhaps for a round two in the future, but I'll definitely put the links down because I think it's important. I think it's phenomenal to always give back, pay it forward, give something back. And um, again, appreciate your time, Sonny. Thanks for sharing. For everyone listening, go check that out. Sonny's a legend. He's got some really valuable insights. Obviously, there's a lot of great things for the community. He's given back as well. Lots of cool things. There were Big Friday supplies, the charity, et cetera. And of course, the academy. Um, because the academies is where it's at, uh, I think for education um, as well for people to be able to sustain that is pretty awesome. Again, guys, thank you for listening. If you're on YouTube, subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, as long as you're not driving, guys, leave that rating and review. Really appreciate it. And of course, until next week, stay fearless.